Philly, you are so wonderful and interesting. You deserve a local news podcast all your own. Check out the John Cast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. This is KYW News Radio in depth. I'm Matt Leon. Russia's invasion of Ukraine continues, and we all know how devastating this war is because, justifiably so, there's been wall-to-wall media coverage of it. But there is also a very alarming conflict in Ethiopia, a civil war in a very important African country that is also causing devastation, but not getting nearly the coverage Ukraine is. We wanted to learn more about what is happening in Ethiopia, what the war is all about, and why we don't hear about it. So we caught up with Dr. Kelly Duke Bryant. She is the coordinator coordinator of the International Studies and Area Studies Program, also an associate professor of history at Rowan University in Glassboro. What we're seeing in Ethiopia, this civil war, kind of what is the crux of it? What's at the middle of it? Yeah, well, the Ethiopia civil war, which began in November of 2020, goes back to a conflict between a group called the Tigray People's Liberation Front, um, which had been part of a ruling coalition in Ethiopia for some 27 years in the uh, 1990s and early 2000s. And in 2018, when the current prime minister, Abiy Ahmed, was elected, um, he began making some changes to try to uh, reform Ethiopia, build its economy, address some of the uh, concerns about political dominance of this Tigray um, group, which uh, accounts for, I think it's around 7% of the total population. If you're talking about sort of uh, ethnic makeup of the population, this was a political party that was predominantly catering to the Tigray ethnic group in the country. And the the new prime minister in 2018, Abiy Ahmed, again, began to make some reforms that pushed a lot of the figures from that group out of their positions of authority, which, you know, kind of he was uh, making these changes in view of um, of reforming the political system. I think some have suggested that these reforms also had to do with a kind of longer, longer game um, that he was playing at the time. But it looks, you know, it looks like he was making these reforms to try to improve the political situation in the country. Uh, Members of the TPLF were not pleased with this um, and, you know, began to um, kind of retreat to the northern part of the country, the Tigray region, um, which has been the center of the conflict since then. Then in 20. 20, when there was supposed to be national elections due to COVID, the prime minister decided to postpone those elections. Um, but the TPLF went ahead and held elections in their region against the prime minister's orders. So in the context of this kind of voting postponement, right, the TPLF then attacked a military base that was in their region, but it was a, you know, a, a, a Ethiopian military installation in the region in November of 2020, um, claiming that this was an attempt to ward off a government attack that was in the works. And this was the immediate catalyst for the start of the war in November of 2020. 
the, the, the Ethiopian government moved on the Tigray region um, with the national military, as well as ultimately some uh, smaller militias from the country. And later on, Eritrea, the neighboring country, was involved on the side of Ethiopia as well. And this it devolved into a kind of guerrilla, a guerrilla struggle between the TPLF on one side um, and the government and these kind of allied groups along with Eritrea um, on the other. What are we seeing as far as you mentioned a guerrilla war? So are we kind of seeing terrorism? Is that the main focus? Are we seeing like attacks on on regions? I thought I heard one discussion that the Tigray region, the, the government had actually just kind of surrounded it and not let anything in or out and just kind of whatever happens in there happens. I mean, yeah, so that, that's what's been happening more recently. Um, so the conflict uh, was largely in Tigray for a while, um, but then the, the TPLF um, actually moved on the capital of Ethiopia, so kind of moved out of that um, northern region and ended up within about 100 miles of the capital. So, you know, for a while, it looked like the government and allied forces had the upper hand. Then it shifted to the TPLF um, for a period of time in 2021. This was in November of 2021 when the TPLF actually neared the capital. Um, but ultimately, government forces were able to stop that advance and push them back into the Tigray region having called up the help of, of civilians um, in order to do that. And also, you know, using recent shipments of weapons um, that came in from the United Arab Emirates, Turkey and Iran um, predominantly. And so I think it was at that point, um, once the TPLF is pushed back to the northern part of the country, that the encirclement that you're talking about began. And, you know, despite some, despite the, ordinary rules of, of, of war to allow access for humanitarian relief and food aid you know, to civilian populations, um, the Ethiopian government hasn't done that. Um, there was a truce that was declared in March, I believe it was March 24th, so just a few weeks ago. Um, and part of that truce was um, that the, the government claimed that they would begin allowing humanitarian convoys to access Tigray and bring badly needed food aid into the region. Um, I've read figures that suggest that some 2,000 trucks were needed and should have been allowed to pass, and only a, a handful, I think maybe 20, have actually been able to access the region. So it is a pretty dire situation in terms of the um, the humanitarian concerns in the region, the lack of food. You know, there are um, hundreds of thousands of people who are at risk of famine um, in in Ethiopia at the moment as a result of the fighting. It's, of course, compounded by the war in Ukraine since uh, the region imports a lot of its grain from Russia and Ukraine. Uh, so that has made food prices increase in the region and, is, and you know, we, even entities like the World Food Program obtain a lot of their relief food from Russia and Ukraine. So it's making the, the, the problem of famine a really severe issue right now. So now I guess it's just kind of settled into this, this kind of war of attrition for, for lack of a, a better term. Are we seeing any kind of battles or is it just basically – the surrounding of the Tigray region, and that's where we stand. 
my understanding is this Tigray region remains remains surrounded, but that the fighting has largely stopped there in recent weeks. There have, however, been some battles um, that have emerged since the truce was announced in late March um, in another region, the the FR region. Um, and so it's I think a lot of people are are doubtful that this truce is really a meaningful. It's, it's not it's not really a ceasefire, right? It's a sort of truce that was announced. It wasn't ne- negotiated. The negotiations of the um, that have been brokered by the African Union have largely failed um, to to produce any meaningful outcome. And so I think a lot of a lot of folks are not holding their breath that this is going to um, bring the conflict to an end. What was the state? You know, I think most people. When they think of Ethiopia, they think of the awful famines in the 80s. And, you know, obviously a country is much more than that. What was the state of Ethiopia for the years prior to 2018? Was this a a country that was kind of on the upswing and, you know, developing and, you know, kind of paint a picture for Ethiopia prior to this civil war? Sure. Well, um, Ethiopia first, something that that I'd like to point out, which is... um something that my students at Rowan are often surprised to learn. Um, Ethiopia has a very, very long history of uh, Christianity. It was one of the earliest um, places outside of the original kind of um, home, the birthplace of Christianity that, that the Christian faith um, was, was spread, right? So by the fourth century, um, there were Christians in Ethiopia. So I know that's not exactly your question, but I want to just kind of kind of uh, mention that because I think it's surprising to a lot of Americans to learn um, that Ethiopia has its own Ethiopian Orthodox Christian church that has been in existence um, for a very long time, for centuries. Um, but to, to, to get back to your question about a more immediate past, Ethiopia had, um, it was a, an empire, Right. So it, it was the only country in sub-Saharan Africa that was never colonized by Europeans. Um, it was occupied by the Italians for uh, several years during World War II. Um, after actually having repulsed an invasion attempt by Italy in the late 19th century in 1896. Um, so, you know, it has this this sort of particularly important symbolic position, right, in um, in the minds of a lot of people from the African continent and also a lot of people of African descent around the world because of its um, its role as this early bastion of, of Christianity. It's mentioned in the Bible. It was never colonized. So it's, it's symbolically important for a lot of reasons. Um, the country had an emperor who ruled in one dynasty for centuries, um, and its last Emperor Haile Selassie was pushed out of power in um, in 1974 by it was by a it was a rebellion right a kind of Marxist um, rebellion and that led to uh, the installation this of course is during the Cold War right of a of a Marxist government um, and a lot of tension between the United States and Ethiopia over that fact and. Ongoing in that time from 1974 until 1991, when the Marxist regime was ultimately overthrown, there was kind of simmering conflict, uh, an earlier civil war, if you will, um, in Ethiopia. At the same time, there were 
groups pushing for the independence of the country that ultimately became Eritrea to the north of Ethiopia. Groups that wanted Eritrean independence allied with the rebels who were attempting to remove the Marxist government um, in the 19, later 1970s, 80s, and the very beginning of the, of the 90s. And that ultimately was successful in 1991. Um, and kind of as, a, as an outgrowth of that, Eritrea was allowed to vote on whether or not it wanted to, to take independence. It voted in favor and became an independent country in 1993. So since that time, the early 1990s, once the Marxist regime was removed from power in Ethiopia, um, the country has been a fairly close ally of the United States. It has become a pretty uh, pretty stable country, um, developing for sure. You know, there have been there are moments of moments of political unrest, of course, the moments of, of protest, particularly in the years before um, the current prime minister, Abiy Ahmed, was elected in 2018. He actually rode on the kind of tails of a, of a series of, of protests and um, against the government that was in power prior to his election. Um, but overall, I think Ethiopia has been seen as a, an anchor of stability in the region and the region of the Horn of Africa, Northeastern Africa is crucially important for global security. Ethiopia borders Somalia. It's right along the Red Sea. It's right along this sort of Indian Ocean shipping corridors. It's, so it's very, very important from a geopolitical perspective. Um, and so the United States has a lot of interest. It's also Africa's second most populous country. So all that being said, what does this current situation, you know, how alarming is this in a country that you really want stability, you know, kind of what are the concerns for the ripple effects of this? Well, I think it's alarming. It's alarming enough that in uh, in September, President Biden's administration um, kind of cleared the way to allow the imposition of sanctions on the regime in Ethiopia that hasn't actually, they haven't actually been implemented yet, but they're being discussed. There's actually a bill in Congress right now that is, um, that, that could potentially impose sanctions in Ethiopia. Sanctions were imposed in, in Eritrea, as I mentioned earlier, um, that country lends, lends support to Ethiopia. Um, there had been, uh, as as you might have guessed from the earlier discussion, this kind of simmering tension between the two countries um, after Eritrea took its independence, there were there was dis- disputes about the appropriate borders between the two countries once Eritrea was created in 1993. Um, and the reason, as as you and your listeners may know, the Prime Minister of Ethiopia um, was the recipient of the Nobel Peace Prize. Um, in 2019. And one of the main reasons that he received that award um, is because he signed a peace agreement with the president of Eritrea in 2018, bringing that conflict to a close, right? So, um, so, so there's very definitely concern uh, um, in the United States government uh, about what's happening in Ethiopia but on the other hand, this is a conflict in, in Africa, which has usually taken a backseat in U.S. 
policy make policy decisions to most other regions around the world. You know, so it has been, I think it's something that's discussed. It's a concern. I don't, I wouldn't say it's probably a top priority of of the Biden administration, nor would it be a top priority, unfortunately, of any administration in the United States, given U.S. um, priorities. We need to take a break. We will continue our conversation with Dr. Kelly Duke Bryant of Rowan University right after this. This is KYW News Radio in depth. We now continue our conversation on KYW News Radio in depth with Dr. Kelly Duke Bryant. You see what's happening in Ukraine, and we see an awful military situation, and we are seeing it almost 24 7 on cable news. You know, Twitter is surrounded with discussions of this. And yet here you have this civil war, which has been going on for a couple of years. And you you have to work to find out about this. Like, this is not something that is presented to the American public in any form. I mean, I'm not even not saying 24-7. I'm just saying 30 seconds on the evening news. I mean... Is it a race thing? Is it just the way that the U.S. looks at Africa? Like, how could this be so wildly out of proportion? Yeah, um, I, it's a it's a great question and one that I've been thinking a lot about um, over the last several weeks as the coverage of Ukraine unfolds and receives so much attention from you know every, everyone around me. Right? It's 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 on the news all the time. It's something that people talk about. It's something people are posting to social media about in a way that they don't with conflicts like the one in Ethiopia. Um, And just to give you a sense of the magnitude of what we're talking about, um, I spent a little time yesterday searching uh, the library databases at Rowan that archive the New York Times and the Washington Post. And I learned that... um, since since February 1st of this year, there have been 2,273 news items in the New York Times alone about Ukraine. Since that same period, there have been 55 about Ethiopia. And if you take the entire period of the Ethiopian war, so since November of 2020, there were 394 articles, similar numbers for the Washington Post and NPR. Um, over the last 90 days, there were 995 stories on Ukraine on its main news programs, Morning Edition, All Things Considered, Weekend Edition, and only nine about Ethiopia. Right? So this is not an imagined issue. It is very real. And I think that there are several reasons for that. First, let me just say that none of my response should not be taken to minimize what's happening in Ukraine. It is an absolutely horrific conflict. It is something that deserves the attention that it is getting. It deserves to be addressed. People desperately need humanitarian aid. They desperately need weapons. They need the support and attention and the eye of the world. Um, So I want to make sure that that's very clear at the outset. I think that the that part of the reason that Ukraine, um, that the, that Russia's war in Ukraine, has taken on this significance in the in the public eye and also in the media, um, is that I mean it, it is a very serious 
it is a very serious conflict that extends beyond Ukraine and, and Russia in a way that something like the Ethiopian civil war doesn't, right? We're talking about uh, one of the, you know, a superpower <laughs> that has nuclear weapons. Um, and so there is an, op- there's an, there's a chance for um, really significant and really very dangerous global ramifications of this conflict in a way, again, that, that something like Ethiopia doesn't present. Um, there's also, of course, the, as I already mentioned, the impact of this conflict in Ukraine on the global food supply. This region produces like 64% of the, of the world's um, sunflower oil, for example, 23% of wheat, lots of other staples um, come from the region. So very significant in that respect. It is also a war that is taking place in Europe's doorstep. It's upsetting a lot of what uh, what scholars of international relations believed to be kind of settled, you know, international relations theory about why and when uh, countries go to war. So there's a lot of reasons for the concern about Ukraine. Um, So I think the real question is why isn't there even marginally similar coverage of other conflicts, right? Not why are we paying so much attention to Ukraine, but why is there not very much attention at all to other conflicts. Um, and you mentioned in your question, is it, you know, is it a race thing? Is it, is it something else? Is it American stereotypes about, about Africa? And I think the answer is yes, it's, it's all of that. Um, and I think it's other things too. So I think that people are uh, in the United States, many people in the United States and in, in, in uh, other kind of countries in, in Europe um, are, particularly drawn to what's happening in Ukraine because they feel sympathy for people who they perceive to be like them. They feel kind of more sympathy for for people who they perceive either because of culture, religion, um, potentially race, right, who they perceive to be more like them. And um, this has been very clear in some of the early media coverage of the war um, in Ukraine, where you have, you know, reporters expressing their surprise that a war could happen in Ukraine because it's not a quote third world country, or because it's so much like Europe or so much like us, because it's not a developing country, because it's not a place with extreme poverty, right? And the flip side to those kinds of comments, which of course have this kind of embedded casual racism, it's not the intention of the speakers, but it's 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 implicit. It's a subconscious thing. The flip side is that we expect conflicts in places that are poor. We expect conflicts in places that are developing countries. We expect place we expect this from people in Africa. And that's extremely problematic, right? I think that this these are these are kind of stereotypes about Africa and other regions of the world as well. I know Africa best, so I'm going to limit my comments to this. But the these relate to deeply held stereotypes about the African continent that many Americans hold because of the way that Africa, it tends to be covered in the media, the way that it tends to be represented in, uh, in Hollywood movies and popular media, et cetera, um, that lead Americans to believe that Africa is this place of, of sameness. We think of the continent as, as one entity rather than a continent made up of 54 countries with at least 1,000 distinct languages and, you know, many, many cultures, right? 
And therefore, when you hear about a conflict taking place in one part of the continent, the assumption is that that's kind of what's happening everywhere. So many Americans assume that Africans are sort of um, that they're they, they're tribal, that not, that they're perhaps less civilized, to use a, a term that is you know traces its roots back to the colonial period in Africa and even even prior to that. Many people assume that you know conflicts are primordial; they've always existed. It's just the way of life; um, it's part of life there. And so, because of these kinds of assumptions, war in Africa is not surprising. Um, to many Americans. And because it's not surprising, it's not seen as, as newsworthy, right? It's not going to generate the same kind of attention. It's not going to generate um, the same kind of, you know, uh, <laughs> the shares on social media, the same revenue in terms of ads, ads and that sort of thing. Right? It's not, it's not seen as, as, as newsworthy in the same way that this conflict right now in, in, in Ukraine um, is. I do think that race plays a role here, right? That that the wars in Ethiopia, the war in Ethiopia, like wars in Yemen and Syria, you know, the conflicts in, in Myanmar and, and other places, these are conflicts. Um, this is suffering that affects predominantly black and brown people. And that just doesn't get it doesn't get the same attention. Um, the director of the World Health Organization just within the last week. His name is Tedros Adinam Gebreyesus. He is actually from Ethiopia, um, from the Tigray region. And just last week on April the 13th, he spoke to this um, in the context of a discussion about the need for food aid around the world. Um, he talked about how other wars are receiving a fraction of the attention that is being devoted to Ukraine. And then he asked, and I'm, I'm quoting him now, whether the world really gives equal attention to black and white lives. And then he went on to say, and this is another quote, the world is not treating the human race the same way. Some are more equal than others. And then he concluded by calling on the world to treat all human life as, it, as if it's valued, to treat it all equally. So I think this is, this is something that is being discussed at very high levels in these kind of, you know, multilateral organizations. It's also something that um, a lot of scholars who, who look at, at Africa have, have been kind of thinking about and, and writing about and discussing. And I want to, I want to just conclude my answer to this question by saying that it, this really has a significant impact, right? It's not just about a politics of knowledge. It's not just about what we know and what we think, but it has real world impact. When people know more, when people are more concerned about a particular conflict because it's getting more news coverage, they're much more likely to give money to help the, that cause, right? And so there have been studies done of the humanitarian aid that's been given to Ukraine, which is you know, skyrocketing as it should be, right? But it, the, the amount of money that people donate to other other to support for humanitarian work for other conflicts like the war in Ethiopia, it, it pales in comparison. It also has implications, I think, for our reactions to war refugees and where they're welcomed, where how they're treated, how they're received. Um, and I think that because of this, that the knowledge of the conflict feeds into sympathy, right, which affects giving. And I think it also affects how we react to the 
thousands and potentially millions of people who are directly impacted by the fighting. You did a great job of laying out kind of how this war unfolded and kind of the pressure points. A person who lives in Ethiopian's, Ethiopia's capital and a person that lives in the Tigray region, are there differences? Are there cultural differences? Is this strictly, you know, because of the power play and, you know, trying to depending, you know, reform, make reform, stuff like that. You know, are there differences, you know, for the most part between the people at all, or is it strictly just kind of a power thing? I mean, I, I think it's like most conflicts. It's about power. It's about access to resources. Um, it's about c- control, right? That's not to say there's not differences between the population. They speak they they speak different languages, um, at least as their first language. And many many people uh, in in many African countries, in fact, are multilingual because there are you know so many different languages that are spoken within any given country. And I think you know there there are religious differences. There's there are people who are um, Ethiopian Orthodox. There's also a, a a Tigray kind of Christian church. There are Muslims, but it's not, this is not a religious conflict, right? This is not a conflict about religious ideology. Um, It is really, I think, about access to the levers of power in the government and who should control that. Um, There was, I think, a lot of resentment because uh, the, the, the Tigray People's Liberation Front as I mentioned already, was most closely linked to this the Tigray ethnic group, which accounts for I think it's like six or seven percent of the total population of the country, and it dominated this co- this ruling coalition um, in Ethiopia for decades as a kind of a, a group that was seen as a minority group, right? Versus the um, other other parties that were seen as you know, representing the the more more um, the the larger populations, the Amhara, the Oromo um, um, population in Ethiopia. I don't want listeners to come away thinking that this is a, a tribal primordial conflict. I do think it is about a very kind of current and and modern human desire to have power, but the divisions are along geographic and to some extent. Um, ethnic and, and and linguistic lines, but it's it's messier than that. Do you see any way how this ends? Um, it could this just drag on and on? Uh, you talked earlier about the you know I'm doing air quotes the truce that hasn't really taken. You know, do you see an an end game here that doesn't involve the suffering of tens, if not hundreds of thousands of people? Um, well, you know, unfortunately, we already have suffering of tens and hundreds of thousands of people. A recent estimate from a Belgian university, Ghent University, suggested that somewhere between fifty thousand and a hundred thousand people have died in fighting, and it should be this should be taken with a grain of salt because it's very, very difficult to have any reliable numbers coming out of Ethiopia right now. Um, and then they think perhaps as many as a half million people overall have died of other kind of war-related causes, starvation, lack of adequate medical care, and those kinds of things. So it's already affected many, many people and has a very high you know, uh, death toll. Um, 
It's caused the displacement of more than 2 million people. Um, Rape has been used by both sides as a weapon of war. And so, you know, women are suffering in in particular ways um, in this conflict. Um, There have been other human rights abuses, killings of civilians, and lots of other just really horrific atrocities. Um, The United Nations began an investigation into possible war crimes and human rights abuses um, last month in March of 2022. So this is a very serious thing already, a very serious war that has affected um, hundreds of thousands of people. In terms of a way out, um, I think, I mean, I, I've I know that that there are discussions of imposing sanctions. I also know that a lot of a lot of theorists question whether sanctions actually work. Um, you know, and I think we can we can ask the same question about what's happening in in Russia right now with the sanctions that have been imposed there. Um, so sanctions might it might be that the United States decides to impose sanctions on Ethiopian leadership. And we'll have to see whether that has any any real impact. I want to see. I want to see more engagement. Um, well, hopefully, more productive engagement with the African Union um, as a key broker. I think it's really important for that entity to to do anything pos- anything that it can to to bring peace between African countries um, or within you know, within, in this case, within an African country. But on the other hand, I don't, I don't know. They haven't really had a lot of luck thus far. So I, I will par- partially take the easy way out by saying that I'm a historian who looks at the, at the past to try to understand what has happened as opposed to making, making real predictions about what will happen. Um, but, you know, I'm hopeful that, I'm hopeful that the, that with the help of the African Union, um, potentially also, you know, the United States has sent envoys to, to try to broker peace talks as well. That's something that there will be a breakthrough and, and there will be a way forward. Um, but I, I don't know that I have a great answer for you about what that will look like. That's it for this episode of KYW News Radio In Depth. You can listen to the podcast free anytime on the Odyssey app, and you can find it wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Matt Leon, and we'll have another episode out soon.